I'm Ed Gross, and this is TV Retrovision, a podcast where we celebrate all our yesterdays, today and tomorrow. If you're a fan of Happy Days, and let's face it, so many of us were, then you certainly knew the owner of Arnold's, the diner where Fonzie, Richie, and the rest of the gang would hang out. Arnold, of course, was played by Japanese-American actor Pat Morita, who mastered a broken English that kept everybody laughing. But let's say you missed Happy Days. No doubt you saw, or at least heard about him playing the martial arts master Mr. Miyagi in the Ralph Macchio Karate Kid films, where he turned in a performance that was about as far removed from Arnold as you could possibly get. Two iconic roles that have touched several generations, thanks to reruns of Happy Days, to as recently as a tribute on the Cobra Kai television series. Yet, despite all of that, he never recovered psychologically from a traumatic childhood that included seven years suffering from tuberculosis, then being sent to a Japanese internment camp following the attack on Pearl Harbor in 1942, and later seeing his father killed by a hit-and-run driver. Somehow, Pat kept it all together to create a successful stand-up comedy routine, appeared on numerous television shows, and played Arnold and Miyagi. But in the end, to find inner peace, he turned to alcohol and gradually, tragically, succumbed to its draw. Now his story is being told in the new Kevin Derrick documentary, More Than Miyagi, The Pat Morita Story, which will be available February 5th for streaming and purchase on Blu-ray and DVD. We recently sat down with Kevin Derrick to discuss what led him to embrace Pat's story and the insight he was able to gain into a man hopelessly mired in the pains of his past. So I just watched the documentary uh, a few minutes ago, actually. I just finished it. Um, wow, nice. Uh, yeah, no, what and it's very illuminating because the truth of the matter is somehow, I mean, I've been doing this for a long time. I somehow missed all this sad stuff about Pat Morita. I don't know how. Um, right. You know what? Because back then there was no Internet access. There was no computer, so no one could research. There was no news or anything. But, you know, now with the Internet, everyone knows everything about everyone. Yeah. No, absolutely so, true. Probably that. I mean, even to this day, I still get emails from people and, you know, they hit me up on Instagram. Oh, can you send a message to Pat? They don't realize, you know, that he's passed away for 15 years. And I right. tell him, you know, if he can hold on for, you know, another 30 more years, I'll send him a message myself, <laughs> but I can't do it right now. <laughs> yeah, well, it'll be easy for you to talk to him, not to get the message down here. So I don't know if that's going to work. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Let's hope you got more than fifteen years. Uh, let's 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 be optimistic, <laughs> shall we? Um, you know, it's funny though because you know you watch these stories. Like my wife very much likes the shows, like the intervention shows on A and E. I think it is right. And I right, watch those right. shows, and I come away from them, and I'm and I'm coming away from this documentary with the same thing. It's like there's a sadness that you've lost this person, but there's such a frustration that they couldn't overcome the illness and survive it that you're watching the self-destruction of someone. And it's like, you just want to say to them, please pull it together, get out of there. You know, it's understandable with all the stuff that he's suffered. I don't know if you know much about his history, but you know, the, the internment camps and the tuberculosis and his father dying in front of his eyes. I mean, those are tragic of, you know, incidents that could affect someone. I mean, I would, oh, if sure. that happened to me, I would be probably doing worse things than Pat did. Right. So it's hard to get, you know, have them stop drinking. I, I don't know. I, I don't have any uh, family members that have been affected by alcohol or drugs, so I can't really speak to that. But I'm sure there's a lot of people that have the same addiction that it's, it's hard for them to get over. 
Absolutely. I mean, that's that intervention show is made up of people like that. Seriously, it's a real reality show. And uh, granted, it's a show, but it's still chronicling a real person going through it. Um, right. But I guess the other side of you can look at the other side is to say that despite what he was going through, he managed to accomplish all he did. That's true. That's true. You know, so that's got to that's got to count for something. <laughs> You're right. That's true. That's true. That's true. Especially for a Japanese boy that, you know, that's very uncommon to. So like the, you know, he was like the first per, first Asian person that started doing stand up comedy and, and acting. There was there was hardly anyone that it, it's uncommon, uh, uncommon for, uh, you know, an Asian family to have their child pursue like an acting career. It's usually like a doctor, you know, lawyer, engineer and stuff like that. So. Right. Absolutely. You know, now, first of all, how did you get involved in this? I mean, how did you become a part of this documentary or doing this documentary? I should say. Right, right. We had done a documentary. We started um, at this uh, documentary back in 2015 uh, on the master, the karate master Fumia Demer. I don't know if, if you know who he is. He's the one who did all the stunt doubles for Pat Morita, all the Karate Kid films, the O'Hara okay. series. So, so Fumia Demer and Pat Morita became really good friends. So I was doing a documentary on Fumia Demer, which he happened to be my karate master. So I knew all about his life. And then there was a time that we went and interviewed Pat Morita's wife, which was Evelyn. And then after the interview was over, she started sharing all these fascinating stories about Pat, like how his father died in the internment camps and what he did in the internment camps and the tuberculosis and all that stuff. And I found that really fascinating. And then a year later, when the documentary came out on Netflix, she called me up. She said, oh, my God, Kevin, this is so emotional. I was crying the whole time, and you did such a great job. And then I that's when I said, okay, let me head her up. So I said, hey, what do you think about doing a documentary on Pat Morita? And then she said, you know what? I was thinking about doing a narrative instead. And I told her, well, why don't we start doing a documentary? And then when it comes out and we see there's a lot of interest on this documentary, we might get, you know, investors to invest in our uh, feature narrative. So it might be a, it might be better to do a documentary first rather than to do a narrative. And then so she agreed to that. And then that's how we got started. We started like 2016. And it's taken like four years to finish this. I don't know if you know about that much about documentaries. They're all passion projects. You gotta really oh, love yeah. the subject. You gotta, yeah, because there's no, uh, you know, there's no monetary. Uh, you're not gonna become rich by doing a documentary. It has to be something that you're doing it for yourself that you enjoy doing. That's something when you when it comes on, you really enjoy watching it yourself so you're really making it for yourself not for other people but if you enjoy watching it then i guess other people will enjoy uh, watching it as well so that that's how we got started and at the same time uh i don't know if you know pat was working on a manuscript on his life i think it was 1996 he started writing his whole uh, biography right and then when he passed away 2015 he had written like maybe i would say like 75 percent of it and then he asked evelyn he said you know if anything were to happen to me please finish this thing and get it out somehow whether it's a book or a documentary or a feature 
So in a way, we were able to fulfill his wishes by doing this documentary, and we hope this, you know, this documentary is such a success that we're able to uh, make a narrative afterwards. Absolutely. Now, you, you kept referring to that his wife was talking about a narrative. Do you mean a book or a biopic? I mean, no, no, what no, do you no, mean by a narrative? Feature, feature, a feature narrative. A feature narrative. So, so in other words, a biopic? You know what I mean? Yeah, like telling yeah, historians. Basically. Okay. Yeah, basically, basically a biopic, right? Yeah. Okay. Just, just so I had that uh, clarification. So for you going into this, I'm sure you had a certain impression of Pat Morita, and coming out of it, you must have had a very different perspective of who he was. <laughs> I'm just wondering what that journey was for you personally. You know what I mean? What that sort of discovery process was for you saying i'm doing pat marita wow that was pat marita <laughs> so how did what's your right, feeling right. about that you know going into i had i met pat one time back in i think it was 1980 so i'm not really sure i was like around 15 years old my sensei fumio demura you used to have like a yearly um competition and he had showed up I think he was doing research for the Karate Kid films to see how the tournaments run and how a master acts because our master was also Japanese and he had a heavy accent. So he was trying to emulate the, you know, Fumio Demura for his character in Karate Kid. So I had known him from Arnold and then I saw him talking to my sensei. So I approached him. I think I was like 14, 15 at that time. And I just, you know, had a brief moment with him and he was a very kind soul and, you know, he took the time to talk with me and just, you know, take pictures and stuff like that. You know, I he seemed like a party animal to me in the beginning. But, um, you know, it's the same. In, okay, the only thing that I didn't know going into this project is all the amount that he had suffered. I really didn't know that much about his tuberculosis issues because back then... He spent, he was, I think, two years old, two years to 11 years old, he spent in the sanitarium all by himself. I mean, his parents were, they would come and visit him once a week. So can, can you imagine being in a body cast from, you know, your shoulder to your knees for that many years? If they didn't have any treatment for tuberculosis, so they would used to set him out in the sun for, for like four hours a day, and that was the treatment. And then after nine years, when he was cured, the war breaks out. And then the FBI comes and picks him up from the hospital and takes him to the internment camp. God. And he spends a year and a half in the internment camp. Can you imagine that? I mean, if I was in a situation, I would, doing, I would be doing worse things than he did. Right. Absolutely. So, I mean, you appreciate all the stuff that he's gone through and he was able to rise above it and, you know, create the most iconic character in cinema history. I mean, you tell anyone, wax off, wax on, they know who he is. <laughs> exactly. I mean, that's a big deal. It right? is a big deal. But what's interesting is that, like, he's going along, right? He's got the stand-up comedy. He ends up in Arnold, you know. Now, granted, he tried to do his own show. That didn't work out, you know, Mr. T and Tina. Uh, but he's got Arnold as a big hit. Then he gets Karate Kid, which is a big hit. He's obviously suffering from all these demons behind the scenes through all of this stuff. This, this is all happening. But what was the turning point? Do you know what I mean? Like, I know the Karate Kid lasted a number of years and the success of that did. 
But what was the point where it became too much for him and the demons kind of took over? Uh, the turning point for him, I think, is when he reached the age of 60 and above, because when you're an aging Asian actor, you get kind of pigeonholed into doing the character that you're known for. I think that happens to everyone. It happened to Henry Winkler. It happened to a whole oh, bunch sure. of people. Did you just get recognized for that one character? And then he ended up just doing master this, master that. And there was a point in his life that he wasn't getting any roles because he was older and, you know, he kept drinking and he started stumbling and doing a whole bunch of, you know, the silly things that people were, you know, when at that point you get blacklisted in Hollywood, they say, well, you know, don't hire this guy because he, you know, what he does. Right. So I think that's when it got really bad for him and he started drinking even more than he normally did. And then he just went down from there. Uh, I, I, I don't think he really found himself. I mean, he just... I don't have any families that are alcoholics, so I can't really relate to what he went through. Sure. But, you know, I I really can't speak to that unless you talk to his wife and, you know, he can she can fill you in on that stuff. Right. Yeah. But how about Happy Days? How about playing Arnold? How important was that? And again, was there a positive and a negative aspect of becoming so popular as Arnold? You know, uh, when he did, the character Arnold, he was speaking in a uh, Chinese accent, and back then there was um, this this association where you couldn't really, uh, if you're if you're a Chinese person, that you couldn't have a um, Japanese accent. So he got into a lot of trouble for for portraying uh, a, a Japanese guy. So. It, it, you know, it was it was groundbreaking for someone that's a minority to even be able to get land a Happy Days uh, a gig. So, it, you know, these are something that I wish he was here that he could speak for himself. Sure. That, I, you know, that, that was my whole problem doing this documentary because he wasn't here and I wanted to ask him all these questions. Right. And he wasn't here to answer all that stuff. So I had to resort to, like, interviews that I found different places and i wish he was here so i could ask him all these questions all right in 15 years you come back and let me know what (laughs) (laughs) right exactly exactly how about miyagi though now that's a pretty clear to me anyway it would seem that's pretty clear cut in terms of the fact and i think it feeds into what you were saying before about everyone expects you you know you, you get pigeonholed as the master but for those first bunch of years that he was miyagi I have to imagine that that really had a powerful impact on him. He became sort of a role model. I mean, Arnold was a silly little man we would laugh with. You know what I mean? We would have fun with Arnold. But Miyagi, there was something a little more profound to Miyagi, I think. It was. It was a character that everyone can relate to. I mean, everyone needs a mentor in their life that, you know, it's kind, that's willing to teach you the ways and also at the same time then can kick everyone's ass. Yeah. <laughs> so it was something that people can relate to. Um, I remember when the Karate Kid film came out, I was probably, I don't know, 14 at the time. There were lines all the way. I, I live in uh, Lake Forest and I went to Laguna Hills Mall to watch the film and there were lines all the way wrapped around the, 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 the mall. 
And, but the, the, the funny thing is I also run a film festival, Irvine Film Festival, and we honor John Avilson, the director of The Karate Kid, in the same theater that I went and watched The Karate Kid films at. So it's just kind of ironic how, how the, the, the stuff happens. Yeah, you know? absolutely. You know, but from what you gathered from him, was Miyagi again? I go back to that positive negative thing. Did he view it, view it, and its impact mostly as positive, or was there be, did there become a negative connotation with the fact that he was Miyagi? I mean, it it depends. That's a question that you want to ask the the Asian community. I mean, it it was a first positive role for an Asian person, but at the same time, if you look at it, he's also being pigeonholed into the same thing you look at an asian and you're supposedly i mean you think that all asians know martial arts so even though it was a positive role i think it's still he was like pigeonholed into the same kind of thing there's an asian and he's a martial artist but he was able to pull it off oh absolutely but i wonder if people got you know people confuse the role with the actor i wonder if people start expecting him to be miyagi in real life because he put, you know, he was like that. He was like like that. Because when I interview a lot of people like Tommy Chung and all that stuff that knew him pretty well, he said he was like real uh, Mr. Miyagi. I remember uh, Tommy Chung. He said when he was arrested for selling marijuana or something, and he was uh, you know sentenced for I don't know a year in prison. Right. Pat was the only person that called him up and and talked to him and he said he's just his personality and what he told me just resembled exactly like the Miyagi character. Wow. Well, there you go. I mean, did he get tired of yeah. the, did you get a sense that he got tired of the identification with Miyagi or was it something he just happily accepted? I mean, I would say in the beginning he probably was accepting to the, the the first Karate Kid, you know, the first, second, and third. And then there was a period of time after the third Karate Kid that he was just doing all sorts of gigs. And right. he was doing, doing, like, you know, small parts and all that stuff. And then the Karate Kid form came along, and that's where he was able to, uh, you know. I, I don't know the answer to that question, honestly. Yeah, that's fine. It's fine. Um, what's interesting, though, is that, you know, you could sit there and say the first Karate Kid was like, oh, it's Junior Rocky. I mean, same director. You know, it's got that right. that vibe of the underdog fighting back and all. But what was fascinating right. is how strong it was for Karate Kid 2 when even though, you know, uh, Daniel-san uh, <laughs> had to focus on him, there was such a strong emphasis on Miyagi, his background, and what he was going right. through. And the audience went right. for it in just a big, as big a way as they had on the first film. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Right, that's completely true. I think when they got the reviews for the first Karate Kid film, uh, I think Cisco and Ebert uh, mentioned that, you know, they would love to see more backstory of Mr. Miyagi, and that's how that came to be about, I think. Absolutely. So. What do you think people's impressions, I mean, obviously everyone's going to make their own mind up, but when they see this documentary... What do you think people, what is going to be the takeaway for people regarding uh, Pat? I hope they realize what a genuine, nice person that Pat was. I mean, if they, you know, all the stuff that he 
all the demons that he had, what he suffered, what he went through, he was able to rise from all that stuff and, you know, create the most iconic character in Hollywood. That's basically what I hope they, they get away from this uh, documentary. There's also a question of the fact that you had him basically narrating his story, um, which adds an an extra level to it, I think. That it's not like just everybody else, you know, talking heads saying, well, Pat was this and Pat was that. There's Pat right. talking too. Where did right. that come from? I mean, the fact that you have him basically telling his entire life story. Right. There is, right before he died, like two years prior to his death, he had done an interview for TV Legends. And they had done a four-hour interview, so I had to hit him up and ask him if I can use that interview. That was basically a full interview from beginning of his life till the, you know, close to his uh, passing. It was very hard for me to find interviews out there, and that was the only one that kind of went into detail. Right. So that's where I got the the, uh, the audio from. For you as a documentary filmmaker, how important is it having the subject's actual voice in such detail compared to what I was saying earlier of just people talking about him? Right. I would rather have, I mean, obviously, the previous documentary that I did on Master Demura, it, it makes it easier as a filmmaker if that person is there with you. That way, whatever that comes up and you have in your head, they can explain it to you. But in this case, I had so many questions that I wanted to ask him about his issues, his demons, and all that stuff, and he wasn't there to answer so the only thing i had was you know to resort to this interview that was there and even in that interview there was a whole bunch of things that he really didn't talk about so i was kind of limited on the story that i could tell Uh, you know i in the documentary like when i was posting stuff on pat marita on facebook on instagram i noticed that when i post something about ralph and pat in the Karate Kid films, that gets the most amount of interest. So I figured, why not, you know, have the majority of documentary about uh, the Karate Kid uh, series and all the stuff that happened in the Karate Kid films. It's kind of like when you go to a concert, like let's say you go watch uh, Journey or something. When you go to the concert, you want to hear all the old tunes, all the stuff that you you were, uh, you know, you, you used to listen to. You don't want to hear any of the new stuff. So I, I just felt like, you know, I should put more of the attention towards what people want to see. Is And that's why I focused a little bit more on the Karate Kid films rather than other stuff. Well, I mean, Happy Days was good and big, but it certainly, did. I don't think for Pat at least, didn't match right. the popularity of the Karate Kid films. Right, right. It didn't. It no. didn't. That, that, that's true. That's true. But it's good to show that, you oh, know, you have to. Uh, his history and where he came from and his foundation and stuff like that. Absolutely. You know, for from the impression you get, this is your feeling having put this together, spoken to the people you spoke to and listening to the words of Pat Morita himself uh, and, and editing them into the documentary. What do you th- how do you think Pat viewed himself? He didn't really take himself seriously. I know this when he was doing any kind of interview with anyone. He would just start it off with a joke and try to... He he didn't really make people... Um, yeah, it's just he was kind of lighthearted and he was just joking all the time. He didn't really want to show himself as a serious person. 
So how do you think you'd react to seeing this documentary where it is so serious? I, I don't know. I, <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Because it is so serious and I revealing. Hope he's up there, yeah. he's, uh, I honestly, I didn't really know that there was this so much interest on Pat. You know, I, I, I've, uh, I think this, this is all because of the Cobra Kai and all the stuff that's going on Netflix. Sure. Um, young people really didn't know him that much. And I'm just surprised by the amount of positive, you know, reaction from people right now. So I, I don't know. I hope I, Pat liked it. I I did from what I had. I did the best I could. And I think uh, the story is kind of gripping. I mean, if someone hangs in there and watches the whole thing, I think they'll get away with uh, learning who Pat was and where he came from and, uh, you know, what he did. Absolutely. You know, and, and we got to remember, too, you know, you're saying you're surprised how many people are reacting the way they are. Well, you got to figure Happy Days was the 70s. The Karate Kid was the 80s. Cobra Kai is current. And, uh, you know, and other things he did were, of course, took place after the 80s. So it did bridge a couple of generations that way. That's very true. That's very true. In the beginning, I thought it was the people who would be interested in his life with people in their 50s and 60s and all that. But from what I'm seeing, it's just the ages are, you know, all over the place. It's the young people and all that stuff. But it's just lately doing because of the Cobra Kai, the people in their, you know, teens and 20s are getting to learn about Pat Morita. So that, that's great. And I think I accomplished what I, what I set out to do. We hope you enjoyed getting to know Pat Morita a little bit better. And we hope you'll check out More Than Miyagi, the Pat Morita story, when it's released on February 5th. And while you're waiting, why not subscribe to this podcast, tell your friends about us, and give us a five-star review. Thanks very much for listening, and we'll see you next time.